God, you are the God that we come to in every type of need with celebration and rejoicing, thanking you for who you are and for what you have done among us, praising you, God, that we can come to you when our physical health is a concern, knowing in the strange way that in James chapter 5, when you told us to come before you, that you also said that sin could be dealt with, that lives could be transformed physically, emotionally, spiritually, that it's all Your work. We come before You tonight, God, thanking You, anticipating all that You have done and want to do. And we ask You, Father, please don't stop. Would You please work in us together in these moments that we share? doing what you want to do as we submit our lives totally and completely to you. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Take your Bibles if you would like and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2, as you know, is the story of Pentecost. And so as I think about that, I want to ask you a question. Acts chapter 2, one of my favorite places in the Word of God, and I just have to ask you a question. How do you measure spiritual success? Now, I know that that's almost an inappropriate question, and I apologize even for asking it in those terms, but I'm going to ask it again anyway. How do we measure spiritual success? Let me see if we can get a handle on this one. Uh, when the, we- the weather, you know, if you can't think of anything else to say, talk about the weather. Wasn't the weather of the weekend freakish? I mean, the whole thing with the blizzard and the snow and, the, and you know, Monday morning, as I have done for the last 20 years, what, what did I get up and foolishly do? I got up at whatever time I got up, 5 o'clock, and I went out in snow this deep and the wind blowing, the snow just as hard. So, I mean, I was leaning like this in the wind, and I went and I jogged my five miles as I've been doing for a very, very long time. And it reminded me that I'm so glad that I don't live in Michigan anymore, where that that happened almost every day for about six months. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but I foolishly went and ran outside and did that for all those years that we lived there, except the year that I turned 40. The year I did turn 40, I said, you know what? I'm too old for this. This is foolishness. You know, my daddy used to tell me God gave me a head to use for more than just a hat rack, and so I went and joined the YMCA. <laughs> I said, I'm going to do this inside. I'm going to go in that nice, cozy environment, and I'm going to get my exercise, and I'm going to be healthy and feel all that much better about myself. So that first morning, that's exactly what I did. I got dressed, and I went over there about 6 o'clock in the morning and went into that nice, beautiful YMCA, and that place was packed. And I went in, and along the back row of all this exercise equipment, there was this long row of these treadmills, And so they had told me in my instructional phase that what I should do is look, and if there's an open one and no one else is vying for that, that I could take that one. There was an open one. I thought, wow, already I can just go straight over there. Went over there, started to get on that treadmill, and then I had a thought. Tell me if I'm the only one. When you go to do something like get on a treadmill or exercise in a situation like that, 
Do you ever observe the people that are there with you? I went to climb on this treadmill and I happened to notice the gentleman who was there on the left of where I would be. And he was about this tall and, and he was built like a Greek god. And he was running so fast, his legs were just a blur for me. And he was kind of bent over that thing every once in a while and he'd kind of pound on that thing and he was muttering under his breath and I couldn't figure out what he said. I finally figured out what he was saying. He was angry because the thing wouldn't go any faster. And he was just running full tilt. Over here on this side of me, here's this lady. She looks like she just stepped out of a magazine. I'm sure her name was Barbie. Ponytail, beautiful. She's just flying. Her feet, I guarantee you, her feet never touched the treadmill. I didn't have my glasses on. I'm not absolutely certain. I think she had makeup on. I mean, not a drop of sweat on her anywhere. It wouldn't have dared to get on that woman. Perfect. Flying down that thing. I climbed up on that treadmill. I was between those two people. I thought I was in a wind tunnel. I just couldn't believe what I was doing there. And I turned it on and did my thing. And I'm muttering under my breath going, I can't believe I'm doing this. I just turned 40 years old. I came in here to feel better and to feel better about myself. And I'm going to have to go see my therapist. So the next day I said, now, I'm going back, but i got to have a plan. So I went in there. Now, have you ever done this? I went in there and I kind of lurked in the back for a while. Have you ever lurked in the back? And I, I picked out the, just the treadmill that I wanted to get on. And I waited. And sure enough, it came open. And I went over there toward it. Over here on this side, there was this gentleman who was there, and that gentleman had passed 400 pounds. I'm not sure if it was on the way up or on the way down, but I know he had passed it. And he was clutching the rails for all he was worth, and he was walking, and I was proud for him, and he was just sweating and huffing and puffing. Over here on this side was somebody who was between 85 and death, and he was moving... He was moving and you could tell he was feeling good about himself, but I don't even think he even bothered to turn the treadmill on. It was just... I got on there. I got on there and I started doing my thing and I just felt so good about me. You know? I just felt... And I realized that day, again, that who you compare yourself to makes all the difference in the world in the results that you will get from the comparison. Acts chapter 2 is about Pentecost. Have you thought about the disciples lately, before and after Pentecost? Before Pentecost, the disciples were terrified to even talk to people about Jesus. After Pentecost, they boldly proclaimed what Jesus had said and had done, and, and everywhere they went, People listened to them because it was so apparent that something incredible had happened in their lives. Can I ask you a question? How long has it been? How long has it been since someone has chosen to give their lives, at least in part, at least in part, they have chosen to give their lives to Jesus because of your witness in their lives. If it's been a while, maybe we should at least ask the question, where is the Holy Spirit's power in my witness? Before Pentecost, good old Peter, 
the Apostle Peter. Don't you just love him? I love the Apostle Peter. I can't wait to meet him in person. Before Pentecost, he lied three times, didn't he? Denied that he knew Jesus. Swore up and down he didn't know Jesus. Called down curses from heaven. Lied and swore and called down curses. Did everything in the world he could to convince people that he didn't even know who Jesus was. Why? Because he was afraid that he might get arrested. After Pentecost, Peter was arrested and then he was arrested, and then he was arrested again. He was beaten. He was threatened with death. He was almost put to death. And what did he do? He didn't call down curses. He didn't lie. He didn't say any of those things. Instead, he called the other disciples. He said, folks, we've got to have a prayer meeting. We've got to get together, and we've got to say thank you to God for the privilege that we have to suffer for the name of Jesus. Can I ask you another question? Which Peter are you more like before or after Pentecost? I know that for so many of us around this community that life can be so very challenging. And I know that we are here and we are experiencing the challenges that we face in our lives because we have committed ourselves to serve God. And sometimes... We remind God of that. Can I ask you, when you're under pressure, when it's feeling tight, when things are tough, are you more likely to give vent to your anger to inappropriately express things to God and your neighbor? Or are you more likely to come before the Lord and say, Lord, this is tough, but I thank you for the privilege of serving and suffering for the name. Maybe, just maybe, tonight, we need Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is the story of Pentecost. I just want to read a few verses. I want to share a very simple thought or two with you. Look at it with me if you would. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, where it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Holy Spirit of God enabled them. Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came and comes in our personal Pentecost, He does three things. They're symbolized here in this passage of Scripture. He does three things in the lives of a believer and pastors just for you. I'll give you an alliteration if you want one. He comes in His presence and His purity and His power. Can we talk about it? The Holy Spirit comes. And the thing that God the Holy Spirit wants to do in every one of our lives is what He did in the lives of these believers here at Pentecost. He fills them up 
with His presence. The symbol there of the wind is so marvelously impressive. It reminds us of the presence of God. The word that is there. You know the word that is there. It means wind or breath. And it's from the same word family that means spirit. We had 120 good Jewish people gathered together there that day and lots more all around town. And every one of them knew that that Greek word family reminded them of the same kind of word that was in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, that also could mean wind or breath or spirit and was used often to remind the people that that wind that blew in here at Pentecost was the breath of God blowing His Spirit into the lives of these believers, filling them up with His presence. How often do we see it? I love it when I see it in the Old Testament of Genesis chapter 2. It says that, that God breathed life into His people. My favorite place in the Old Testament is probably the story in Ezekiel of the dry bones, them bones, them bones, that valley of dry bones, and God the Spirit breathed on them, and those people who were spiritually dead, what, came alive in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the breath of God, the Spirit of God. God the Holy Spirit wants to fill us up with His presence. Pentecost then and in our lives now is God the Holy Spirit filling us with His presence. But if God the Holy Spirit is going to fill us up, He's got to do something. What has He got to do? If He's going to fill me up, He's got to deal with what's already there, doesn't He? I mean, if I had a glass of Coke sitting here on the altar and I decided that I would much rather be drinking water, what would I have to do with the Coke that was there? I'd have to dump it out and clean out the glass, right? That's what we talk about a lot. That's what the Bible calls sanctification. We have to be cleaned out. And when the Holy Spirit of God wants to come into my life, He has to clean out what is there so He can fill me up with Himself. The fire that came to rest on them collectively and individually represented that purifying presence of the Holy Spirit that came to cleanse. Fire throughout the Old Testament, as you know, frequently represented the cleansing, purifying presence of God. The angel in Isaiah chapter 6 took the coal from the altar, touched Isaiah's lips and said, you're clean now. The fire on the altar would purify the sacrifices that were devoted to God there on that altar. Fire there represents God's purifying presence. God the Holy Spirit wants to fill us up But if He's going to do that, He has to clean us out. Why does He have to do that? Well, Genesis chapter 2 says that when Adam and Eve made their decision to sin, you know what happened. God made humankind wonderful, beautiful. He said it's good. The image of God that He built into each one of us that day when Adam and Eve chose to sin was twisted somehow. It was damaged. It was wrenched and twisted. And the horrible thing about it was that when it was twisted and broken, it was twisted in the direction always to point towards choosing sin. And so the Bible tells us that from that day forward, every human being that has ever been born other than Jesus Himself has chosen because of that twistedness in our spiritual natures to choose to embrace sin. Sin's not tough to understand. It's when I know something's wrong and I choose to do it anyway. It's just bad. I choose to do it anyway. That twistedness inside of us that compels us as human beings to choose knowing 
that it's wrong to do it anyway. And God the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost came into the lives of those believers and filled them up and untwisted what was damaged inside of them. That part of them that pointed them in the direction, that compelled them to sin, that drove them in the direction of sin, God undid the damage in their nature. It doesn't make it impossible to sin. What it makes it is possible to live a life that is free from willful sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were now able to live their lives without sin. They lived that day without choosing to sin. And they woke up the next morning and felt so good about the day of Pentecost, they said, I think we'll just do it again today. And they lived another day without choosing to sin against God. God the Holy Spirit wants to come and fill us up and clean us out. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be completely perfect. Acts chapter 10 is one of those stories in the New Testament that we're probably all familiar with. Remember the sheep and the wild animals and Peter's argument with God? God had to have a conversation with Peter. Peter said, God, Jews are your chosen people. They are superior to every other people that has ever been and it is obvious that they are your privileged, chosen, blessed, and exclusive people. You love us more than you love anybody else. In fact, those other folks, I know you just kind of put them out there just as a reminder that you love us so much. And God said, no, not quite. Not quite, Peter. And God and Peter had to have this conversation where God corrected Peter's theological error. Spirit-filled, entirely sanctified people have wrestled with many types of theological errors over the centuries. And like Peter's prejudice against non-Jewish people, those errors that we have wrestled with, sometimes, sometimes they can be very important and sometimes they can hurt an awful lot of people. Being filled with the Spirit of God doesn't make me all-knowing. Being filled with the Spirit of God doesn't mean that I cannot make mistakes. We can be filled with the Spirit and cleansed from all sin and we can still make mistakes theologically. I've graded something. No, that wasn't what I was going to say. Uh, we can still make mistakes. That was because Dr. Powers is here. We can still make mistakes theologically. We can still make mistakes in human relationships. We can still make mistakes and errors of judgment. Why? Because when God sanctifies my heart, He doesn't make me completely perfect. I still have limited knowledge. I still have limited understanding. I still have limited intelligence. I still have limited access to many types of resources. He doesn't make us perfect. He straightens out our hearts. We don't talk about absolute perfection in the Church of the Nazarene. We often talk about Christian Perfection, but that's a discussion for another day. It's not the same. It means God has straightened out my heart. Amen. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the disciples and He sanctified their hearts and He gave them power. 
Remember, I said His presence, His purity, and His power. Power for what? Power to live a holy life. And especially, it says, power to be a witness for God. He empowered their witnesses. Their witness. Jesus said it in Acts 1.8, isn't it? He said, you know, wait there. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit of God, then you're going to be what? You're going to be my witnesses in your little circle and then in a bigger circle and a bigger circle until you take the globe for Jesus. This is what God wants to do through us. But to do it, He's got to fill us up and clean us out and give us the power to be the witnesses that He always dreamed that we would be for Him. Now, that doesn't mean that when you get filled with the Spirit of God that you're going to become Billy Graham overnight. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it doesn't. What it means is that when the Spirit of God is living and working in you, Jesus is going to be all over you. He's going to be on your mind. He's going to be in your heart. And He's going to come out of your lips. You're just going to be thinking about Jesus. So you're going to talk about Jesus. And God the Holy Spirit is going to nudge you and He's going to remind you to talk about Jesus with your friends and your family and the people that you know and occasionally even with people that you don't even know. God the Holy Spirit is going to say, talk to them about me. And those folks are going to be more interested in listening to you because they are going to see that something has happened and is happening in your life that is different than they see anywhere else in their world. God wants to do something extraordinary in us. He wants to fill us and cleanse us and empower us. You see, God's plan for Christians, God's normal for Christians is for us to be filled and cleansed and empowered by His Spirit. That's just normal Christianity. That's God's plan. He wants to fill us up and sanctify us holy. That is normal Christian living. You give Him your life. But unfortunately, you know, I, I'm like you uh, in many ways. I, I, I talk to other people. I watch other Christians' lives. And, and you know, and I, when I've had this kind of conversation with somebody from time to time, I've had people in, who honestly have said to me, you know what, Alan? I look around me in the Christian family and I look at these Christians over here on my left and and I look at these Christians over here on my right and, and I look at me and, and I feel like I'm doing pretty good as a Christian. I mean, I know that I got saved and, and, and my relationship with God is, is I think, improving. And my, certainly my relationship with God looks like this. Most of the time it's up and down and it's, it's up and down, but I look at other Christians all around me and it appears to me that, you know, just getting saved and just kind of hanging on and, and, and just kind of maintaining a decent sin management program is, is reasonable, normal Christianity, right? We don't have radical expectations that God is going to transform our lives. We just try to keep things under control, right? I mean, you know... I'm not different, I'm just forgiven, right? How's the bumper sticker go? Well, let's not get too serious about this. And, you know, I, 
When I look around our Christian, broad Christian family, there's an awful lot of me that would look at that and say, man, that just makes a whole lot of sense. I see a whole lot of this. I see a whole lot of sin management. My problem with that is is I just keep reading the Bible. And I keep looking at passages of Scripture where God over and over and over, nine different times specifically, God says, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And let's not even talk about all the other times where the Scripture compels us to be people whose lives are radically transformed by the love and the power of the Spirit of God living and working in us. And so I come back to the Scripture and I'm reminded again that God's normal for Christians is to be holy. That means be filled and sanctified and living for Jesus. So I just have to ask you tonight, Christians, can you take me to the place and can you tell me the time when God the Holy Spirit and you had Pentecost when He filled you up and cleaned you out and gave you power to live as a holy witness for God. If you can't, it's not a sin. It just means God has something He wants to do for you tonight. God the Holy Spirit is here. And He's told me that there are going to be some of us who are here tonight that He's been talking to, that He wants and you want for Him to do something in your lives that is more radical than anything that He's ever done before. It's something that, that you've hoped for but perhaps not experienced. It's something maybe that you're not sure God could even do in you. You know, I have this sense, because I've been told this often enough as a pastor, that, Pastor Allen, you just don't understand. My sin, my sin is just, it's just too difficult for God to do that for me. Now, I understand that God's done it for others, but you don't understand my sin. No, I don't. I don't, but I do know this. If God could do it for Peter... God can do it for us. God's promise to us is He's here. He wants for us to experience Pentecost. I want you to stand. I want Chaplain Mike to lead us in a song. And as we're singing together, if God is talking to you, I just want to encourage you. Don't wait until you have all your questions answered. Those will get answered while you're here at Nazarene Bible College. Come, let God do what He needs to do in your life. And I also have this sense here tonight that, that many of us, I'm sure many of us here could take me to a place and could tell me a time where God the Holy Spirit and you experienced radical transformation and you celebrate that in your life and I celebrate it with you and yet you look at me here this evening and you would say, Alan, I know that I know that I know that God did something for me then, but I just have to tell you that life is tough and the battle's been hard. And in me right now, 
my spiritual tank is really, really low. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 is one of my favorite places in the Scripture where it tells this incredible story that these who had just experienced Pentecost had just gone a short period of time and gone through some tough stuff. And they got together and they prayed. And God the Holy Spirit came and look what He did. He filled them again. Christians, Pentecost is not the last step, but it's a big one. You've got to get the Spirit and you've got to keep the Spirit and you've got to keep living in the Spirit all the time. And if you'd say to me, Alan, my tank's a little low, why don't you come as we sing together and let God the Holy Spirit renew, refresh, refill, do whatever you need for Him to do in you tonight. Can we do that? Let's sing together. Spirit.